So you, you guys see me with, with my drink. Have any of you guys ever been thirsty? Anybody? Yeah, right. And I don't mean just the average, you know, thirst where a drink of water kind of sounds good after a, a long walk or after working in the yard all day. I mean like really, really thirsty where, where your tongue sticks to the roof of your mouth and all you can think about is finding a drink. You ever remember a time like that? Right. Now, now for me, I'm thirsty all the time. Like Vicky says, uh, that with the amount of liquids that I consume, it's a really good thing that I'm not an alcoholic. Uh, because you will rarely, if ever, see me without my green tea or a glass of water. Um, just, yeah. but, but we pretty much all take that for granted, right? Like being able to get a drink. I mean, after all, you, some people have bottled water with them. I'm sure you have some in the refrigerator here. Uh, we've got a water cooler in the fellowship hall. There's, there's two fountains in the narthex. Uh, and even the kitchen tap back there is, is ready and waiting so that physically speaking, at the slightest twinge of thirst, it's not difficult to satisfy that craving, is it? And, and you know, whether you've actually experienced it or not, uh, medical experts will tell you that dehydration can get you into serious difficulty very, very quickly. But you know, that's equally true of spiritual dehydration, which is, is something that the scriptures point to repeatedly, particularly in the Psalms, if you remember back in our series, back in Psalm 42, where the psalmist uh, expressed it like this, he said, As a deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I go and stand before him? Or, or later uh, in our series, when we come to it later on in Psalm 143.6, uh, it says, I lift up my hands to you in prayer. I thirst for you as parched land thirsts for rain. Because you see, just like bodily dehydration draws the whole of our physical being to crave and to focus on getting just an ordinary drink, a spiritual thirstiness will draw our hearts to focus on the source of living water that can only be found in a relationship. And that's a relationship with a loving Heavenly Father through the earth-shaking, mountain-moving sacrifice of His Son, which is generously poured out into our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I want to show you that today in this week's song. So I hope you have your Bibles with you. For those of you that are uh, back the first time or just joining us for the first time, we've been on a, a long expository journey through the book of Psalms, and we started way back in Psalm 1, and 114 Sundays later, here we are. Okay, so Psalm 114, the psalmist writes, uh, When Israel went out from Egypt, the house of Jacob from a people of strange language... Judah became his sanctuary, Israel his dominion. The sea looked and fled, Jordan turned back. The mountains skipped like rams, the hills like lambs. What ails you, O sea, that you flee, O Jordan, that you turn back? O mountains, that you skip like rams, O hills like lambs. Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, who turns the rock into a pool of water and the flint into a spring of water. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord for us today. Father God, we thank you so much that we are able to open and read and hear your word. And so we ask now, Father, you would lend us your Holy Spirit to superintend your scriptures, to cover this message with your grace, uh, and let everything that goes forward, Father, be your word and yours alone, because you promised that when you send it, it won't return to you in vain, but accomplish all your purpose for it. And so we ask that now from you, uh, in Jesus' name, amen. So we're continuing our look 
uh, that we started last week through uh, the Hallel Psalms. Remember, uh, we talked about those last Sunday, and we come to the second of those today. And if you remember from last week, it's that section of the Psalter that runs from Psalm 113 through Psalm 118. Uh, and, and these Hallel Psalms, as we said, are hymns that were designed to be sung at the three sacred feasts of the Torah, uh, at the Feast of Passover and the Feast of Pentecost and the Feast of Tabernacles. Those, those three great times of historical remembrance uh, that these psalms are, are speaking to us about, and they're also where we get the English transliteration of the word hallelujah from. Remember we talked about that last week. It's simply the mashup of two Hebrew words together, hallel, which means to praise, and the noun yah, which is the abbreviation of Yahweh, uh, God's holy covenant name. So you get your money's worth today, right? You get a little Hebrew lesson. Um, but on this, commentator Doug Wilson said, when we see this together, when we set ourselves to praise God, to say hallelujah, we remember his great work of deliverance in history for our older brothers, the Jews, in the exile, which point us to an even greater exodus, the exodus that all other deliverances point to, which is our deliverance in Jesus Christ. And Psalm 114 bursts right out of the starting gate with that great rescue story by saying, when Israel went out from Egypt. Right? And with just that simple, straightforward sentence presented as historic, accomplished fact that God's people were delivered out of captivity and into the promised land. And even though a whole lot of stuff happened in between those two realities, our psalmist here is treating, it, uh, treating the entire thing from the departure of Egypt to the entrance at Cana as one event, right? as a fait accompli. Uh, as something that's, that's already been decided and, and done before the people involved uh, ever hear about it. And, and phrasing it that way, uh, what we have here is a great hymn of reassurance for God's people in his loving providence. And for God's enemies, well, leaving them with no option to, but to accept it. As we read this morning that even nature itself stands aside to let the people of God pass over into freedom. That's why we read the sea looked and fled Jordan, turned back. The mountains skipped like rams, the hills like lambs. And he's talking about the parting of the Red Sea here. And lady, if you remember the Jordan being driven back so the people of God could pass over on dry ground. And then he's referencing that great earthquake at Sinai where Moses and the elders met uh, with the God of heaven and earth whose presence made those, those heights of that mountain quake like two rams butting their heads together. Have you ever seen that happen? Uh, and later collapse in all those sand dunes underneath the tents of Dathan and Korah and all their rebels with them falling all over each other headlong that must have looked like gangly lambs tripping over their own feet falling under their own weight and leaving the psalmist to ask rhetorically and kind of mockingly really uh, what ails you O sea that you flee O Jordan that you turn back mountains what what makes you skip like rams and, and hills like lambs. And then he answers his own question. He says, Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob. And so he said, what, What's the matter, see? What, what's the matter with you, River Jordan? Hey, mountains, what, what's got you all out of place? It's the presence of the Lord. The Lord who we're told in the, the book of Haggai that says, Be strong, all of you people of the land, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant I made with you when you came out of Egypt, 
My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not, for thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. And he did all of that not only to rescue his people physically, but to herald our spiritual rescue in the Messiah. In the one that the Messiah says, the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Even the messenger of the covenant whom you delight in, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. That Messiah coming who will be the one that turns rocks into pools of water, that turns the flint into a spring of water. And guys, that's exactly what happened to Israel at Mount Horeb, right? Remember when Israel was wandering through that arid, barren desert after leaving Egypt? Remember they got thirsty? They got really desperate for water, but there was no water around. And, and what did they do? They complained to Moses, right? And what could he do? He turned and cried out to the Lord. And the Lord answered him. He said in Exodus 17, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff that you struck the Nile, and go, and behold, I will stand before you on the rock of Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water will come out of it for the people to drink. And not only to slake their physical thirst, but to provide a beautiful picture of our salvation found in what the Jews call the Mayim Hayim, the living water flowing out from the rock of refreshing that is found only in the Messiah. And just in case you think, hey, that's, you know, Pastor, that's kind of a stretch of the, the text there, don't you think? Listen to how the Apostle Paul describes it in 1 Corinthians 10. And if you have your Bibles open, this would be a great passage to mark. This is what Paul says about all that. He says, For I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food. And, and this is the part I want you to watch. And all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was who? Christ. That rock was Christ. And it was that, that refreshment from Jesus following them in whom they and we find our essential vital sustenance to quench our thirsty souls. And guess what? That's not even just Paul's theological invention because our Lord himself specifically identified himself as that living water. And he points us right back to Psalm 114 today in a scene that happens in the Gospel of John chapter 7. And there we read, that on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And that, that great feast mentioned there is the third of those three historical celebrations, as I mentioned in the opening. This is the Feast of Tabernacles where God's people would be singing all these Hallel psalms that we've just read, right? They're, they're singing Psalm 114 that we just read uh, and that we've been looking at. And this festival wasn't just a one-day thing. It lasted for seven days. And it was very popular among the people and full of Messianic symbolism. Uh, and one of the really prominent features uh, was that each day of the festival included a water ceremony. It's called a water libation ceremony in which this procession of priests would march down uh, to the southern border of the city, to Gion Springs that flowed in from the pool of Siloam. And when they got there, a priest would fill a pitcher of water. Uh, and then that same pitcher was carried back up the hill through the water gate into the temple. 
and followed by these huge crowds carrying branches and, and sticks to remind them of their, their tents and their stick homes in the Exodus. And when the crowd would wave all these in procession back and forth in the temple as they sang these great songs from Psalm 114 about seas turning back for them to walk through and the river Jordan parting to let them through and streams of water flowing out of rocks in the desert. And when they reached the temple, the priest would climb the steps up to the altar and pour it out over the corner of the, the altar there while this gigantic crowd was, was singing and, and circling around. And they did this, as I said, every day, six days in a row. And the last day, the great day, the seventh day of the festival, they repeated that whole procession seven times. Seven times over. And so right in the middle of this huge ceremony, an uninvited preacher named Jesus crashed the party. He steps out into public view and he does the unthinkable. Right? Stunning priests and people alike by interjecting himself in the midst of worship and he yells out above the noise of the crowd, Is anyone thirsty? Let him come to me and drink. You think he got their attention? Can you imagine if someone burst in in the middle of our baptism service later and yelled? Right? You think he got their attention? Does he have yours? Right? Because if anyone thirsty, let them come to me, to Jesus, and drink. One commentator uh, said of this, what our Lord Jesus so loudly and publicly proclaims to one and all is an invitation and a promise. And the condition for the, for the invitation is in the awareness of your thirst. The awareness of the dryness that nothing else can quench. And of the recognition that you and I are thirsty people, that deep in our souls, right down at the core, that we are desperately wanting something to fill us up. Except way too many times we try to do that in temporary ways that have no lasting earthly value. Right? We try to fill up that emptiness with, with money or, or fame or athletics or academic achievements, and they, they may top us off for a while, but just as quickly those achievements begin to evaporate into vague, foggy memories until we're ready to try something else. And don't get me wrong, there certainly are, are very happy events, happy, happy moments along the way, unexpected moments of real fulfillment, but I'm sure you guys know better than I do, those moments can be fleeting. And we can never go back and relive them once they're gone. So instead, we need something that's always fresh. We need something that's living. We need something that's eternal. And, and, and honestly, that's why those folks outside of Christ are always looking for the next big high, right? In, in whatever form they take it. Uh, simply put, because they have to. It's a part of how we're made. That whether we realize it or not, our souls are thirsty. They're thirsty for God, and they're not going to be satisfied with anything less, right? Every desire, every aspiration, every longing of our nature is a yearning for God because we were born, brothers and sisters, to love and be loved by Him and we are never truly filled with anything inferior because everything that we desire is found in Him and infinitely more. And, and so the, the passage of Psalm 114 and of John chapter 7 and the story about Moses and the rock uh, is that Jesus is the answer for our deepest thirst and he's the source in himself of the living water to produce the kind of change that way down deep inside we know that we not only want, but that we desperately need for ourselves. And 
You know, that happens, though, when we're not too busy trying to keep ourselves entertained and distracted with idols of our own making. Because we're pretty good at that. And not too busy to notice that we've been worshiping the things of this world and, and pouring our lives into them instead of letting the Word and the Spirit be poured into us. And that's the same indictment that God gives in Jeremiah chapter 2 where He says, Has any nation ever traded its gods for new ones? Even though they're not gods at all. Yet my people have exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. The heavens are shocked at such a thing. They shrink back in horror and dismay, says the Lord. For my people have done two evil things. And listen to this. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living water. And they have dug for themselves cracked cisterns that can hold no water at all. Right? They've abandoned me the fountain of living water, and they've dug for themselves cracked cisterns that can hold no water at all. And God is declaring clearly that He is the only God and that anything else that claims to be God is no God at all, and it's as worthless as a busted water tank. And, and you may be thinking, well, Pastor, that's, that's interesting, that's good history lessons, some interesting connections you made, but what's that have to do with, with me? on Sunday morning in 2020. Hey, not to mention, some of you folks might not even like water. Right? I had somebody say to me before something, something to the effect that they, uh, they only ever drink Starbucks or soda. Because they say, you know what, water rusts pipes, right? So just think about what it does to your insides. So, I guess, so I, I'm not going to tell that person that there's water in coffee and, and that, and that you, you need it to make soda. But, but I will tell you this. I'll tell you why this message matters and, and I'll tell you what it means to be called into this spring of water that we're in and what it would mean if you came. Uh, and the first thing I see here is that it's been God's long-standing plan to reach you with that call. See, that's the witness of all of these scriptures that I've pulled together uh, that we've read in our psalm and in its connection to the story of the Exodus and the imagery from both that Jesus picked up when he kind of crashed that temple service that we read about in John's scriptures where God spoke of the reality of our thirst and his plan to satisfy it. A plan that he announced hundreds of years before it happened. And precisely because it has all happened, just as he said, it means that God was planning this for you. Whoever you are. Church, whoever you are this morning, you are not here by mistake. God's got a message for you to hear. One that he, he created to fill that unquenchable soul thirst that you've been feeling. A thirst you've been feeling apart from him. And he's using it to draw you to him. And that he would be prepared to fill it. And so he planned for Moses to stand on that rock at Mount Horeb. And he planned for Jesus to stand up in the temple. And he planned for me and his name to stand in this pulpit today and extend that very same offer. If anyone thirst let them come and drink and do it freely it's exactly what isaiah preached when he said is anyone thirsty come and drink even if you have no money he says, come it's free come to me says the lord with your ears wide open listen and you'll find life seek the lord while you can find him call on him now while he's near let the wicked change their ways and banish the very thought of doing wrong and turn to the Lord that he may have mercy on them. Yes, turn to our God, for he will forgive generously. 
And church, how does he do that? Where does that gracious pardon flow from? It pours out from the brokenness of the cross of Jesus Christ in just the same way that it flowed for the people of God from that rock of Horeb in the wilderness. And do you remember, do you remember what we read had to happen first before that living water could flow out for the people to drink? We just read it in the opening. Right? Remember where the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will stand before you on the rock of Horeb, and I will what? Strike. Strike. Nakai in Hebrew. I'll strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And that Hebrew word for strike there is not just a love tap, guys. It means a severe strike. It means to hit with the intent to wound. It means to beat brutally. And it's translated in other uh, Old Testament passages as a killing blow or uh, to slay or to murder. And I, I hope you get the emphasis uh, of why I'm stressing that definition that happened to that rock because church is what had to happen to Jesus before he could freely offer the gift of living water that now wells up into eternal life for you and me. That's why the Bible records at his death when he was struck with a spear while on the cross that immediately blood and water flowed out together in his once and for all sacrifice. Those two elements commingled the blood of the new covenant and the water of the new birth and so whoever you are if you find yourself here today thirsting for something more in life if you realize this morning by the power of the holy spirit that your heart has become dehydrated and that the things you've been pursuing have left you spiritually parched come to christ today and drink freely of his grace and of his forgiveness and experience the pure joy and the, the personal significance and the liberating new life that is only found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you uh, so much for that living water which flowed from uh, those precious wounds of our Lord Jesus. We thank you uh, even more, Lord, that the Holy Spirit communicates those things to our lives to forgive us of our sins uh, and that raise that gloriously uh, crucified Lord on the third day and is now ascended into heaven. Uh, we thank you so much for all these precious promises. Uh, fill us up today, Lord, uh, with the power of that Holy Spirit. Uh, and Lord, let that same filling influence reach out. And if there's anyone, uh, even one, that is here or that's listening that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, surprise them, Father, by the, the reality of your presence and, and draw them in uh, to this living water that you have given to your people. And we thank you, Father, for all that you do for us and all that you will do this week. In Jesus' name, amen.